The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Good morning once again, everybody. I'm very glad that you're here. My name is Alan, and uh, Greg, can I, can I invite you to come up here for just a second? We noticed this morning that uh, we're twins. We're twins. We're indistinguishable. Separated at birth, right here. There we go. There we go. We look. We look like the. If you remember from some time ago, we look like the cover of the twins movie, right? Right, Danny. Uh, I'll be Arnold. Yeah, we go. Okay. Anyway, one of us is Danny DeVito. So anyway. Um, uh, happy Thanksgiving to you all. I know you've heard it a thousand times before. It's what we do. It's what we do this time of year. We, uh, we say uh, happy Thanksgiving, and so hopefully you are uh, thankful. I know the uh, Michigan fans are not so thankful this morning. Ouch. Uh, but the Ohio State fans, quite thankful. Yeah, quite thankful. Yeehaw. Okay. So, um, uh, uh, our, so my question here to start off start you off is, is, are you really thankful? So we say, you know, happy Thanksgiving. Do you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, I had a good Thanksgiving. Well, are you thankful? Are you, are you thankful? Have you, uh, are you thankful for the friends and family that hopefully you got to spend some time with over the holidays? Are you thankful that they're leaving this afternoon? Are you thankful? Have you had that moment maybe around the the dinner table on Thanksgiving Day or during a drive or something, that moment where you go around one at a time and you say, what are you thankful for? And so then you take that and you say, Here, here's what I've thought about. Here's what I'm thankful for. And here at our home, we have a tree with uh, leaves and we write what we're thankful for and we stick those leaves on, on, the, on the tree inside of, our, inside of our home as a reminder. And, and it's, our, it's our daughter who pushes us all to say, what are you thankful for, Dad? What are you thankful for? And she's the one who pushes us uh, towards this now. And so just you ask this question, what are you thankful for? Well, how thankful are you? Because there are degrees of thankfulness. I mean, there isn't just one thing called thankfulness. There's a low end of thankfulness where you receive a card that has no money in it. That's, that's one level. You say, thanks. And then you throw it away. And then on the other end of the thankfulness journey, something happens and you've got a grin on your face. And that grin, you can't wipe it off for days. It's something great happened at work or some relationship, some kind of thing major happened. And so there's, this, there's big thanks and then there's, there's little thanks. How do we demonstrate the level of our thankfulness? How do we quantify all of that? I might say thanks. And you say, I don't think you're thankful. Well, yeah, I know I'm thankful because I just said thanks. I just said the word, and so we got that taken care of. No, you don't seem thankful. Well, what do you mean I don't seem thankful? How do we quantify thankfulness? Now, there's no question that being thankful is good. It's good. Uh, it's good for us. It's good for our character. It's good for our soul. The attitude of being thankful, not just one weekend a year, but throughout the entire year, it's good. It makes you a better person. It makes you more pleasurable to be around. Thankfulness is absolutely good. But how do we demonstrate thankfulness? How do we transfer thanks to somebody else? How do we demonstrate thankfulness? We're going to take a look at that this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? 
Father, as we gather here in this place, we are thankful. There is so much to be thankful for. What a beautiful weekend. What a beautiful time to live or be here in Phoenix. God, we are thankful um, uh, for, for who you are. We, we worship you. It's what we spent some of our time on here this morning to acknowledge you, to, to give adoration and praise to you. We are thankful for that, God. We are thankful that we can gather here in this place and that we can uh, be in your presence. We want to hear from you. We are thankful in advance for what you want to do through this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to come back around to the question of how do we demonstrate or quantify thankfulness. I'm going to come back around to that. But first I want to set up our foundational verse for today. This whole year we've been walking through... uh, uh, foundation. We've identified 40 foundational passages of Scripture to help us understand what the overall story of God is. And uh, we only have two left. This is number 39 of our 40 journey here this year. And the last three of the whole journey are in a, can- are in a, a category that I call the end. Last week, this week, and next week are about the end of the story. What passages, what foundational passages of Scripture has God provided for us in terms of understanding what the end of the story is going to look like? So the verse that we're going to take a look at today is actually... It represents an entire story. It's a, it's a verse that many of you are, gonna, are familiar with and, uh, uh, and the story you'll be familiar with. But the verse, it kind of means a whole lot when it represents the whole story. And the story that we're looking at today about the separation of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25, this story is, is a tr- paints a tremendously beautiful picture of how we are to treat one another. And it's motivating, and it's just, it's a tremendous story. This story um, is also very sobering in light of the end of the story. So in terms of how we are to treat one another, it's a beautiful story. When this story is set up as a picture of the end, of the end of the story, it is in your face. Matthew chapter 25 is a powerful section of Scripture. Now, the verse that we're going to land on is verse 40, and we're going to put that up on the screen in just a little bit. But I want to read the verses beginning in verse 31 that take us to verse 40. So if you brought your Bibles or if you have an electronic Bible with you and you'd like to follow with me, I invite you to go to Matthew chapter 25 beginning in verse 31. If not, just listen and we'll go from there. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Sheep and goats are very different. Um, Some of you are probably more familiar with farm animals than than I am. But from my limited experience, I have seen that sheep and goats are quite different. That sheep are naturally um, submissive and they are gentle and mild. And goats are not. Goats are very aggressive. I mean, if you 
ever been at a petting zoo with a handful of pellets, you'll know what I mean by that. I mean, you want to traumatize a four-year-old, just fill his hand with pellets and then drop him in the middle of a petting zoo with goats. And then uh, we know from experience, you, you, uh, you have to pay for therapy, you know, later on as this all gets well. I mean, they just, ah, just tack, they just, I don't know why we do that to our children. Um, but they, they, it's, they're very aggressive, the goats, that's their, kind of their natural thing. Sheep are different than goats. And so Jesus says in this story, he says, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats, Well, we separate people all the time, this idea of separating into different categories. We do it all the time, and it's not necessarily bad, but we have many different ways that we kind of put people in categories and separate this group over here and this group over there. This year, I've uh, made a couple uh, significant hires here for uh, staff for our church, uh, very excited about. And that process requires uh, taking a look at a number of resumes. So we, we make the, do the job posting, and we get a stack of resumes, a lot of interest uh, for that. And so we look at those resumes. We can't treat every resume with our full attention. We have to look at the resumes and separate them into the no's and the maybes. That's kind of a first pass on it. So we take the first piece of paper, and, and it says, to Allen, A-L-A-N, spelled wrong. No. No, you spell my name wrong at the very beginning of the resume, done. That's not, I'm sorry, it's not even an option. We may have missed out on some great candidates, but they can't spell. Uh, they, can't, they haven't thought through that detail. Okay, okay, pick up the next one. To Allen, A-L-L-A-N. Spell it right. Good start. Uh, I heard that you like hockey. I'm a huge fan of hockey. That's good enough for me. That's a good start. That's a maybe. We'll look at education later on, but that's a good start. Take the next one off the pile, and uh, it says, uh, to Alan, A-L-L-A-N, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No, we don't talk like that. That's, I mean, that, that's, we'll put that over there. That's, 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 we're not from 2,000 years ago. We're, we're normal people here. We don't talk like that. That's going to that's gonna fit great somewhere else. Okay, next one. And it says, to Alan. Hey, I read uh, your mission and vision on the website. Very excited about it. I would love to be a part of this team. Wow. That's a good start. That's a maybe. Okay, there are so many different ways that we uh, separate people out. I mean, in the dating process, you, 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 you don't have enough time to date everybody who's interested in you. You're just, you're just too precious for that. And so you've got to narrow it down when you're doing this. And so there are some that you say, you say no. And then others you say maybe. And they say, no, no, I'm going to put it over there. And then others, you say, yes, please, and, and as you do in the day. So we categorize people with friends. We say, these would be good friends. These would not be good friends uh, with me. These are the cool people. These are the not cool people. These are white-collar workers. These are blue-collar workers. These are the rich and the poor, the Republicans and the Democrats. We separate people, and we say, those who voted for Clinton... They're baby killers. And we separate people, those who voted for uh, uh, Trump, they're racist. And so it's real easy for us to separate this out in the clear line. It got really quiet in here. That's interesting. Just right on that. Did I, did I touch a nerve? Okay, so we're, we're, we're so good at just drawing crisp, clear lines. We know how to separate people. And, and, and in this story, it starts off with, with the king, with Jesus saying, All of the ways that we separate people, in the end, they won't matter at all. We have many different ways. Some are okay. Ways that we separate people. None of that is going to matter. None of that. Race, gender, age, socioeconomic, education, 
intelligence, none of that is going to matter. None of it. All nations will gather together. All nations, and they're just all going to be inseparable, gathered together, except for one thing. There's one thing that's going to separate them in the end, the sheep and the goats. That's the only separation that's going to matter for eternity, the sheep and the goats, the godly and the wicked, the saints and the sinners. That's the only separation that's going to matter. There are no saints who are going to get lost among the sinners and, and, and then, oh, you forgot about me and uh, trapped somewhere and going to get caught up in that. There's no, there are no sinners who are going to sneak in and hide among the saints and just kind of stay under, a, see if they can kind of get a loophole or, make this, or figure this out. No, there will be a crystal clear, perfect separation between the sheep and the goats. And there will be no fuzzy room. It'll be sheep and goats. And then the story continues. Then, verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, to the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Come sheep, to to something that has been prepared for you. Have you ever had a party that was just for you? Have you ever had a, a moment or experience like that that was set up just for you? In 2004, I got my green card. I'm, I'm Canadian. And in 2004, I got my, my green card. I had been working in the States illegally for quite some time. No. Uh, I had uh, multiple different visas. I had a student visa and then a religious worker visa. And finally, after years, I finally got my green card. I had been married for uh, seven years, and uh, so my wife, she threw me a, a surprise green card party. How many have had a surprise green card party? I mean, this was a, this was a hoot, and, and so uh, everybody came in, and they dressed, uh, dressed up in uh, green, and I thought that the party was for my father-in-law. I thought it was for his birthday, so I thought I was the, the one in charge. I was the sneaky one making sure he got to the right place at the right time, and I'm going, oh yeah, no, we're just going to stop off here. <laughs> Walking all up, open the door, surprise, and then I realized that they were all looking at me, and it wasn't my father-in-law's friends, it was all of my friends, and so it was just this huge, great party, and, uh, and it was terrific. It's one thing to be invited to a party, to go to a party. It's a whole other thing to have a party prepared for you, for your birthday, for your anniversary, for your retirement. And the king says to the sheep, there is a party prepared for you, just for you. Then he continues, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then here is the foundational verse that really summarizes this whole story. Verse 40, the king will reply, 
Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Notice the humility among the sheep. Notice the humility that they say, when did we do that, king? When, when, did we, when, when did we do those things that you're saying, these beautiful things that you're saying? We were just going about our business. We were just doing what we think is right. We were just doing what we think is natural, what we think is appropriate. We were loving on people. When did we ever do that for you? We, we never did that. There's this humility that comes out of that, which is sheep are, are humble. Sheep are, are humble. Now, you and I, we're familiar with this story. We've read Matthew 25. We've had it read to us. We know this story. So it would be unwise for us in that moment to interrupt the king who's explaining this and say, I know, I know, I know, I know. It was you. I know. You're welcome. You understand? The sheep are just going, yeah, I I didn't do that for my own benefit. I didn't even know it was you. The sheep are humble. Notice also in this story what the sheep give. First of all, in verse 35, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. There are three things there. Gave me something to eat. That's a resource. Gave me something to drink. That's a resource. Uh, stranger, and you invited me in. That's time. So they gave resource, resource, time. Then in verse 36, I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. That's resource, time, time. Of all of these six examples, it is resource, resource, time, resource, time, time. Three examples of resources, three examples of time. That we are to be generous with our resources and with our time. Now, the point of these six examples that Jesus gives is not to say, uh, is not to say these are the six specific things that you need to do. That's not the point here. I mean, Jesus could have given a hundred different examples, hundreds of different examples. That, that these are just, this is just a sampling of it. In fact, if you look at the six, any of those can be taken either literally or figuratively or spiritually. So there are many here in our community who have plenty to eat, even in our church here, even in this room, who have plenty to eat, yet are starving for attention, starving for meaning and purpose, starving for quality relationships. There are many who have, who have closets full of clothes and yet figuratively, spiritually, still feel naked and ashamed. And so the issue here is not these specific six. And it's not, it's not all of these six. It's not pick any six. All of these six. It's not about uh, doing all of them. My guess is that, that uh, few of you frequent the Florence State Prison. That's okay. That's okay. I've been there a few times. Some of you have been there for different reasons. That, that's okay. The issue is not, okay, I want to make sure I, I get each of these six pieces. That's not the issue. The issue is not, is not do these, these specific things. The issue is, what are you doing? The point is, what are you doing? Because followers of Christ are generous with their resources and their time. 
followers of Christ are simply generous with their resources and their time. And that shapes how we do ministry here as a church. And, and we take up an offering. And, there, and, and the way that our budget rolls is that we are here to be a blessing to the community and to those around the world. That's, we have many opportunities here as a, as a church. Greg just talked about Feed My Starving Children. That ministry flows directly out of Matthew chapter 25. What can we do to feed starving children around the world? And it's a tremendous organization. We have the angel tree where you, you uh, uh, take a, um, an angel from the tree and it represents a child who has parents who are incarcerated. And so you then buy gifts for that child for Christmas. You have the shoebox where you fill that little shoebox with love and send it around somewhere around the world. Family promise that ended just this past week where folks... Uh, here in the community who uh, need, just need to get back on their feet for a, a, a period of time. And so we provide them with a, with a place to stay as part of this great organization called Family Promise. Or we have Hope for the Homeless, where about a, once a month, a group will set up meals here after church on Sunday afternoon and then head over and feed the homeless downtown Phoenix. We have one mission where we can go to Rocky Point and build homes for, for other people. There, there are many different things that we talk about uh, here from the front or that are uh, set before you in the program or are available on our website. Many of different options, many different options. You don't need to do them all. Some people want to do that's fine. You don't need to do them all, but you gotta do something of, of this list, of this way that, that we serve the community, we serve people around the world. You gotta be involved with something. That's what followers of Christ do. We don't do these things because it's just a nice thing to do. That sounds like a good thing. We do this because it's a mandate from the king who says, whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We do this because we understand the end of the story. We do this because we understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, this story could have ended right there, and it would have ended beautifully. Just a great image, a great challenge, but it doesn't. And then the next section of the story is the more sobering part, because it challenges the notion, it challenges the theology that in the end, God's grace is just going to cover everything. God's grace is just going to pour over everything, and nobody's going to... Uh, um, be hurt, nobody's going to be sent to hell, etc. It just challenges that notion. And it supports the idea that God is no fool in terms of how he set this up. Continuing the story, verse 31. Then he will say to those on the left, to the goats, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I, will, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Faithfulness is not the absence of bad. It's the presence of good. That faithfulness, the way that shows up, the way that walks itself out, is the presence of good. It's not enough for us just to say, I didn't 
take food from the hungry. I didn't take drinks from those who are thirsty. I didn't wrongfully put someone in prison. That's not my fault. It's not enough to say that. That's, that's the sin of omission. To just step back and say, hey, that's not my fault. And it, according to Matthew 25, it is inexcusable. Just prior to this story, earlier in Matthew chapter 25, is the story where a master leaves and, and to three servants, he gives, uh, to one he gives five bags of gold, and to another he gives two bags of gold, and to another he gives one bag of gold. And when the master returns after quite some time, the one with one bag of gold didn't do anything wrong with the bag of gold, didn't, didn't steal it, didn't uh, squander it, didn't waste it, just didn't do anything with it, just hit it. So that when the master came, he said, here's your, bag of, here's your one bag of gold in return. And that one is referred to as wicked and lazy. And so the, 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 this omission piece is not something that we're going to be able to hide behind. It's the goats who say, who say, well, I didn't do that. Or the goats who might say, I, I don't have time for that. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have resources and time to be generous with. And that, that might be something that, that we periodically say, I don't have resources and time to be generous with. That's a lie. We absolutely do. We all have resources and time to be generous with. There, there is no way to wiggle ourselves around that. My, my kids, you know, they, they're very busy. And when it comes to chores or specific things that we ask them to do uh, or showering, um, uh, they don't have time. They just don't have time. And they're very busy. No question about it. They're super busy and they're doing lots of great things with sports and extracurricular activity and all that. But they say, I just don't have any time. And then how often is it that I just look over and I go, well, how did you get that much time to watch TV? How did you find, miraculously, how did you get the extra two hours in your day in order to research your fantasy league teams? Or whatever, whatever the example might be. That, that, that it's, it's easy for us to say, I just don't have them, I just don't have them. No, the issue is priorities. That what's, what's important to you, you will find resources for What's important to you, you will find time for. We will find resources and time for that which is important to us. And the king says here in this story, Jesus says here in this story, I just want to remind you what's important. I just want to remind you that whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. As you look at the end of the story, as you look at the fulfillment of the whole story, this is a profound verse. Whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. No question about it. Matthew chapter 25 is a difficult story. The separating of the sheep and the goats, it's difficult. Because because it's, it, we understand that we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace, not by works. We are not saved by our generosity, by the generosity of our resources and time. We, that's crystal clear in Scripture. Absolutely foundational. And yet, we still have Matthew chapter 25. It's right there. It's, I, I just read it. You can't skip from Matthew 24 to Matthew 26. 
You just can't skip it over. It's right there. And uh, uh, there's, there's, this, there's this, the whole chapter is, is going with this message of in the end, you need to be prepared. You need to be prepared. Even jump back to chapter 24. Jesus says, you will not know the day or the hour. You will not know the day or the hour that this happens, that the end of the story is going to happen. It has taken way longer than, than people thought it was going to take. The disciples thought it would be just one or two generations. And then after a while, they thought it was going to be uh, the, the year 1000. And we thought it was going to be so many different dates and people have guessed in the year 2000, etc. It has taken longer for the end of the story to happen. We have no idea when this is going to happen. We don't know the day or the hour, but the message is be prepared. Jesus rolls into chapter 25 at the beginning of that chapter. It's the story of 10 women who are waiting for the bridegroom. And they're waiting for quite some time, and it gets dark, and, and the bridegroom hasn't come yet. And five were prepared and have oil in their lamps, and five don't. So the five say, oh, can I have some of your oil? No, 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 we're, we're prepared, you're not. Okay, we'll be right back, we'll go get some oil. They go get the oil. While they're gone, the bridegroom comes, and they miss it. The point, be prepared. Be prepared for the end of the story. Then the story right after that is the one that I referred to earlier about the five bags of gold and two bags of gold and one bag of gold. That when the master returns, don't be wicked and lazy during your time when the master is gone. Be prepared. Be prepared. So here, Matthew chapter 25 is not a story that we pull out and separate from the rest of Scripture. Matthew chapter 25 is an exclamation point on a message that Jesus has been telling for a chapter and a half. It's the final piece of this message that Jesus is very clear about with regard to the end of the story. Be prepared. Be prepared. Are you ready? Are you ready for the end of the story? Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Are you prepared? Faith is not just about what we think and what we believe. It's not, it's not just the words that we say. We're all on a faith journey, all of us, regardless of, of, of who you believe Jesus is. Uh, we are all on a journey to try to discover who Jesus is and to figure out what, what it means or might mean to follow Christ. That's, that's the faith journey. Faith is not just about what you think and what you believe. Faith involves your actions. Faith involves doing something. James says faith without works is dead. We're not saved by, we're not saved by our works. But faith, the way it looks, the way it shows up, is in action. It's in action. It's, it's doing something. Faith without feeding the hungry and giving something to drink to the thirsty and inviting the stranger in is dead. Faith without giving clothes to someone who doesn't have clothes and taking care of the sick and... Um, taking care of someone who's in prison and dealing with that stage or phase of their life. Faith without doing any of those things as an as a individual, as a family, as a church, is dead. It's dead. Okay. So as I wrap up, let me go back to the original question that maybe you even forgot that I asked at the beginning. 
How do we demonstrate the level of our thankfulness? How, how do we pass that on to another person? How do we show that we are thankful? Well, last Thursday was called Thanksgiving. I mean, the actual day, it's Thanksgiving Day. This is Thanksgiving weekend. What a great word. What a great word. Thanksgiving. The way we show thanks is through generosity. The way we show thanks is through giving. That's the response. That's how we show. It's more than just the word thanks. It is a response. It requires action. The greatest way you can say thanks to someone that you want to say thanks to, you want to show your appreciation for, is not just your words, it's your actions. So the way you, you, you show thanks is that you show them that it has affected who you are in some way. It, it has affected your actions. You write them a note and say, here's an action to say, I'm truly thankful for this piece. You take a picture and say, this, look at the result of your generosity and how this has blessed me or my family or somebody I care about or whatever. Better yet, take that generosity and pass it on to somebody else. The pay it forward kind of journeys. The way you show thanks, the way we show thanks, when we receive something, resources and time, whatever it is from somebody else, we pass it on to somebody else. That action is the greatest way of demonstrating thankfulness. The way to demonstrate thankfulness towards God and His love and His forgiveness and His grace is to be generous towards the least of these. That's, that, 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 that is a great way to show praise. To, we can sing, we can talk, we can talk about how great God is. The way we show thankfulness towards God in heaven is through generosity. The way we can prepare for the end of the story is that we allow our faith to show up as action. We allow our faith to not just be something that we think about, but our faith is something that affects our time and our resources. Whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. Thanksgiving. Those who are thankful are giving of their resources and time. Those who are thankful are giving of their resources and time. Maybe this year at Thanksgiving, you don't feel very thankful. For whatever reason, you, you just you don't feel thankful. You can still act like it. You can still act like it. Because it's, it's not about, it's not limited or held down by our feelings. We can still act on it and respond and be generous with our resources and timing uh, and time towards others. Those who are thankful are giving of their resources and time. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I, I love this story. This is one of those chapters, one of those stories that, that you can't just skim over. That this story is right in our face. So, Father, I pray that you would protect us from misreading it. You would protect us from thinking that we can earn our salvation or earn being right with you in any way. God, you would protect us from any of that. But instead, you would inspire us as sheep to want to show thankfulness to you for all that you've given us through our generosity towards others. God, would you inspire us with a joyful heart here this season 
to think generously about those around us, to think generously about, about the work of the church in ways that you are using this body to make an impact here in this city and around the world. God, we invite you, we invite you to challenge us, to prepare us for the end of the story. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.